This is an Onomi podcast. But I really didn't think that it was possible. I thought I was too young. I thought I didn't have enough experience. I thought that I needed to wait later in my career to be able to embrace a more travel abundant full-time working lifestyle. And I definitely realized during that year of isolation and lockdown that I needed travel to be more a part of my lifestyle, regardless of how my work was set up. Let's just say I made this decision in like October 2020. And by the start of the new year, I was booking a one-way ticket to Tulum. You don't need your boss to tell you when you can work from home. You can turn your nine to five remote following these steps. So let's talk about it. Welcome back to the 9 to Fly podcast. I am your host, Sunia of Finance, and I'm super excited that you're here because today we're going to talk about how to remotify your 9 to 5. If you're not already subscribed, be sure to click the subscribe button and subscribe to 9 to Fly across all platforms and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and of course on YouTube. So we're going to talk about how to remotify your 9 to 5 because we are not waiting for our bosses to tell us that it's time for us to work from home. No, we're going to take the reins to ourselves. We are going to make our own 9 to 5s remote. So I'm super excited to share my own journey in making my 9 to 5 remote and tips that you can take along to make your 9 to 5 transition to remote work more seamless and successful. So back in 2021, if you can remember the wild, wild west of the pandemic, uh, I was really feeling like it was about time that I was working fully remote. So let's flash back to that time of the year. Back in 2021, I turned my nine to five remote, so to speak, and never looked back. During the pandemic, it really dawned on me that I had this dream. I had this wish of working fully remote, being a digital nomad, so to speak, being someone who could work and travel the world. But I really felt like my traditional nine to five, traditional office culture was holding me back. So I decided that I was going to create an opportunity for myself to become a digital nomad. But I really didn't think that it was possible. I thought I was too young. I thought I didn't have enough experience. I thought that I needed to wait later in my career to be able to embrace a more travel-abundant, full-time working lifestyle. But oh, I was wrong. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic, I think for many of us, helped us see and reimagine how we wanted work to fit into our lifestyles. And I definitely realized during that year of isolation and lockdown, that I needed travel to be more a part of my lifestyle, regardless of how my work was set up. So it really gave me that push that I needed to become fully remote and to really embrace it. So let's talk about how I did it. Back in 2021, I lived for three months solo in Tulum, Mexico. You might be wondering, well, why did you pick Tulum? Why Mexico? Well, back in 2021, there weren't many countries who had their borders open for unlimited travel. So Mexico made sense because there were open air borders. I could easily fly to Mexico and I could get back home to the U.S. pretty smoothly. But I also picked Mexico because I had a pretty good understanding of the Spanish language. I'd taken many trips to Mexico 
And in 2020 specifically, I traveled to Tulum. So actually being able to visit that city as a vacationer allowed me to get my bearings, so to speak. I could kind of see like, oh, this is actually a place that I think I could enjoy. There were really three C's that made sense for me and three C's that I would offer to you if you're thinking about a potential place to move abroad or move to work remotely. I was looking for community, currency, and culture. So Tulum offered me community by way of there's a really large expat community. There's a really large community of U.S. Americans or American-born citizens who have moved to Tulum, moved to that entire region of Mexico, and are there working, living um, as digital nomads or sometimes even as newly Mexican residents. So Tulum, check the box for community. I found a community of like-minded people, and I found Surprisingly, a lot of black women expats who embraced me and really made me feel at home. So that was number one. Number two, Mexico's currency is not as strong as the U.S. dollar. So that benefited me in terms of being able to save on expenses, but also allowed me to have a quality of life that I wasn't really, you know, trading off. I didn't have to make any major trade-offs between, you know, the quality of life that I had in New York and then moving to Tulum. And then number three was around culture. I love Mexican culture. I love the food. I love the energy. Um, It didn't feel so foreign to me, even though I'm very much a foreigner. So across those three C's, community, currency, and culture, Tulum fit all the boxes. So that's why I decided to spend three months uh, of my life in Tulum. And I want to also say this, in case you don't know, there are people who will coach you through making a move abroad. So I worked with an amazing coach who really helped me do the research and helped me create a whole plan for how I was going to move abroad. Let's just say I made this decision in like October 2020. And by the start of the new year, I was moving out of my apartment and booking a one-way ticket to Tulum. Uh... Another great resource that I leveraged were online communities. So, of course, we know with social media, Facebook groups, Discord groups, there are so many online communities of travelers, of expats that I, that I really leaned into that really helped me research and learn more about like what was really happening in Tulum, how to find a safe apartment, what areas to look into, what to avoid. Um, so it really helped me be able to research and figure out the best options for myself. And let's be clear. I mentioned currency already, but of course, moving to Tulum for three months really helps me accelerate my personal finance goals. Back in 2021, I was, uh, newly debt-free and was really trying to figure out ways to kind of stay out of debt. Um, so moving to Tulum really helped me accelerate for the first time in my life. I was able to do what's considered maxing out my 401k, which just pretty much means I had enough money to contribute the full amount to my 401k. I was saving 50% or more of my income and I was still enjoying a better quality of life than I would have had cramped up in a small three bedroom apartment in New York city. So all in all, If you are thinking about moving abroad, making your job and your nine to five more remote, this is absolutely going to be the episode for you because I have a lot of tips for you on how to turn your current nine to five remote, as well as some inspiration and tips in case you are thinking that remote work is not for you. I hope that you can see from my story that if you have any inkling of wanting to travel more, of wanting to work remote, 
you there's no better time than right now to do it. And there are an abundance of resources, tips, communities, and people out there who are willing to help you in that journey. Now let's talk about how you turn your dusty office job into a remote job because there are some clear ways to do this and especially to do it strategically so that you are not fumbling your own bag. Let's talk about it. You don't need your boss. Again, (laughs) I think the big message of this episode is you don't need your boss to tell you when you can work from home. You can turn your nine to five remote following these steps. So let's talk about it. Number one is super important to do research on your own company's internal policies. Say you work for a company that you don't really want to leave, right? Maybe it offers you other opportunities for growth. You love the culture, whatever it means, right? You don't have to leave your company just to work remotely. But what you do need to do is understand if there are already policies in place around remote work. So a great place to look is your employee handbook. HR resources. I think many large companies, especially since the COVID-19 pandemic, have already built into place work from anywhere, work from home, or hybrid policies. So do your research on what exists. Now, if you work for a smaller company, sometimes these things aren't documented. And you might actually benefit from being one of the first people to raise their hand and say, hey, we don't need, we don't have a policy. I want to make a recommendation, or I want to suggest a plan that's going to work best for me since we don't have any laid out policies in place. Do a little bit of finessing if you don't have a policy in place and really make a case to your manager. Now, sometimes you might work for a company that's large enough or global enough or international that there are satellite offices where you can essentially work your job from abroad or from a satellite office. So when I think about when I worked at American Express, for example, there were technically offices all across the United States, all across the world. Many people that were based in New York had a vision or goal, a dream of working out of the UK office. So that's what I mean by your own company might have other offices in other countries where you can essentially be working from an office, but now you're working from another country and your job may stay the same. So be sure to do the research, right? Does your company have these kind of satellite offices? Are there other cities or countries across the U.S. or globally where you can work without disrupting your current responsibilities? And let's really talk about at your current company how you can kind of bring this conversation up because I think that's usually the biggest thing that causes us frustration, anxiety, or fear around asking for a remote work placement. It's really important to have the conversation. And I think that there are two clear areas of the year to bring up this conversation with your manager. I think you should ask your manager at the mid-year point and at end of year. Say you're a high performer. If you're already performing well, if you already have such great performance reviews, I think that it's a great place to bring that up as you're getting this positive review. So mid-year and year-end are usually times of the year where you're getting some kind of feedback from your manager, from other people across your team. Bring up the conversation with your manager then, just pretty much saying, hey, I love the work that I do. I'm really excited to hear that the team values the work that I do. But in order for me to continue feeling comfortable in this role, I need a remote work placement. And maybe depending on your relationship with your manager, you share more. Well, I want to start a family. Well, I need to take care of 
Uh, I need to take care of other responsibilities. I have other life obligations, but I don't want to give up this great job. I don't want to leave an amazing team. You know, kind of make it seem, you know, kind of build it around the idea that, hey, I'm a loyal employee. I just want the flexibility to be able to not always have to come into the office. So I would say really make a case again around your mid-year, around your year-end, and create a plan with your manager, right? Maybe it can't happen immediately, but if you can create a plan with your manager to say, in the next quarter, I will be able to work one last day in the office, or in the next quarter, we're creating a plan where I only have to come into the office the first week out of the month, realize that this transition to fully remote work might require baby steps at your current company. So just create a plan so that you're in lockstep with your manager around, this is what y'all need to see, and this is what I need to be able to feel comfortable in this job, okay? Now, let's also talk about for anyone listening who does not have a remote job or doesn't have a company that could offer them remote work. How do you pivot your current skills into a remote job? The reality is there's a lot of bullshit out here saying that you need all these fancy degrees, all this technical skills to be a remote worker. And that's just not true. That ain't it. Okay. The reality is you don't need a special degree and you don't need certain technical skills to be a fully remote worker. So we're going to talk about it. Let's talk about some jobs that you can absolutely do remotely that anyone can do remotely. And you don't need a fancy degree or any technical skills. You don't have to be a coder to start working remotely. Here's some great titles that I want you to research. I, I, I brought you a list, okay? Um, operations manager. Pretty much anyone who likes to be in data, likes to do project management, can be an ops manager. Project coordinator. Anyone, pretty much anyone can be a project coordinator. There's really no fancy degrees, certificates, or skills required to become a project coordinator. A web developer. You don't always necessarily need to know how to code to become a web developer. A basic understanding of HTML, CSS, or even just a basic understanding of a major web tool like Squarespace can allow you to start making money as a web developer. Digital marketer. If you're somebody that already likes to be on the gram, hell, get paid for it. You can become a digital marketer without having any type of fancy degrees, certificates, or et cetera. From a healthcare girlies, because I know somebody's watching this right now who is saying to themselves, well, I'm a nurse. Well, I work in healthcare. I can't do anything remote. Wrong. The reality is there are healthcare consultants healthcare project managers. These are roles that can be worked remotely. And a lot of times they're looking for people who come from the healthcare discipline or who have clinical or lab-based skills. Another job that I want to throw out to you, research analysts. Again, my girlies that like to be in the data, that like to be in the numbers, research analysts, that's a perfect role for you. And so on and so forth. The reality is pretty much every industry has jobs that can be worked remotely. So I don't want you to think about that you have to reinvent yourself just to start working remotely. You don't have to reinvent yourself. You don't always have to go back to school to start working remotely. So if you are someone who wants to pivot into a new job function, think about those skills that you already have and how you can leverage them to support remote first companies, small businesses, online companies. The list goes on and on. Now, for my people that are working jobs where that are jobs that I didn't name, a great idea for you is to look into remote first companies. Those are companies that have made a commitment to say, we are doing this remote work for the long haul. So 
no matter what job you're working right now, a lot of times you can take your exact same job title and pivot into a remote first company, a company that has a remote work culture built into their company values. So here are some sites I want you to look into. Remote.co, that's one of my favorites. We work remotely. Flex Jobs, Working Nomads, Otta, O-T-T-A. There are slews of job boards that are specifically built for digital nomads and remote workers. It's just your job to go out and find and secure the bag, okay? I believe in you. Okay, so for this next segment, we're back to corporate lingo. I am here defining terms that every 9 to 5 hottie needs to know. And as we talk about remotifying your 9 to 5, I can't think of a better term to describe than what's considered geographic arbitrage. So if you've never heard of geographic arbitrage, simply put, it is the strategy around making your home or geographic location arbitrary by moving from a higher cost of living area to a lower cost of living area. So think about my own story. When I moved from New York City, one of the most expensive cities in the world, one of the most expensive cities in the United States, and moved to Tulum, Mexico, where currency overall for the country of Mexico is a lot weaker than the United States. And then also in Tulum, a city where it's maybe not as expensive as more major cities, I was participating in geographic arbitrage. And here's the thing. Geographic arbitrage doesn't just mean you're going from one country to another. You can be using geographic arbitrage even if you're staying in the U.S., moving from a higher cost of living county or city to maybe a lower cost of living suburbs or another city over. I think about plenty of people who work in the Bay Area but may live an hour or so away so that they can benefit from lower cost of living. So geographic arbitrage, for a fact, can be done in both the U.S. and abroad. And here's the thing. You can earn money in a higher cost of living city. You can, you know, have your nine to five based in a higher cost of living city. You could have a business based in a higher cost of living city and be paid in U.S. dollars. But it's really about do you live or travel in a lower cost of living place? And with working remotely, That just opens up so many more opportunities for you to take advantage of geographic arbitrage. And let's just say this is a strategy that I did not come up with. I learned this strategy from many other uh, financial freedom chasers, but this can really be a way to accelerate your path to achieving financial freedom. Many people who have uh, given up their high cost of living U.S. lifestyles and you hear stories of people moving to Bali or Vietnam, that's geographic arbitrage. They realize that I have skills that I can be paid in U.S. dollars for, but if I move to a city, country, state, or or county where my cost of living is a lot lower, I'm obviously going to have more disposable income to put towards my wealth journey. So I want to give you some resources to check out if this is a term that's new to you or you want to learn more about this. Um, I love the book, Quit Like a Millionaire by Chrissy Shen and Bryce Nguyen. Great book. It was one of the first books that I read when I was learning about geographic arbitrage, and I know you'll love it. Um, And I also want to shout out some of my favorite financial freedom IG bloggers and IG influencers. So Shang of Save My Sense. Jamila Souffrant of Journey to Launch are also two great bloggers and financial influencers you should check out on Instagram who have amazing platforms where they are sharing stories around financial freedom all the time and also sharing other creators that you can look into. But 
Long story short, geographic arbitrage is where the coins are really going to be saved. It's where you're really going to be able to accelerate your wealth journey. And the reality is you don't have to give up your quality of life to do it. So check it out. All right. So before we end this episode, you know what we're going to do. We are going to spend some time listening to the hottie hotline. This is my opportunity to answer live questions from you, my viewers. So if you have a burning question that you want me to answer on a future episode of Nine to Fly, be sure to check out my show notes and send me a voice message or a text so that I can answer your questions on a future episode. I'm going to answer a couple questions today because there have been so many good questions that have come in from viewers just like you. So here's our first question that we're going to answer today. Hi, Sunia. Huge congrats to you on your podcast. Well, thank you, 95 Hadi. Um, your girl's stuck. Anytime I try to negotiate during offer time, I'm always hit with, sorry, this offer is non-negotiable. Maybe it's my approach. I work in healthcare and I'm starting to think that it's just the culture of the industry. Do you have any advice or scripts that can help build my confidence to further that conversation beyond the sorry? Thank you. Thank you so much for answering the, asking this question. I'm here to give you an answer. Here's the thing. When it comes to negotiating, especially negotiating internally, it's not always enough to just kind of demand, I need more money. Depending on your culture and depending on the culture of your industry, the culture of your company and your team, you might need to essentially plant the seeds and make a case before you actually ask for more money. So instead of the current approach where you're kind of saying, oh, during during this offer time, I'm trying to negotiate for more for more money, I would even say early on in the interview process, really start to plant those seeds, make a case, really understand, is there a variable salary range that they're looking for? Really understand all of the components of the offer before you kind of get to that final round interview. I would also argue that, as we learned in a previous episode on Nine to Fly, there are more things that you can negotiate beyond just salary. So if you meet a recruiter in your industry, maybe in healthcare, who's not willing to budge on the base salary, maybe you should think about negotiating other parts of your offer, right? Can you get equity? Can you get a sign-on bonus? Can you negotiate for more vacation time? Can you negotiate for a remote a remote setup, right? And so on and so forth. Sometimes companies don't have the budget to be able to offer you additional pay when it comes to your base salary, but there may be other things that could sweeten your deal, give you more work-life balance and more flexibility that ultimately might be worth more to you. So that would be my suggestion for you. And then I would say across the board, if you feel like you're consistently getting hit with, oh, this offer is non-negotiable, Take, figure out if you can take your skills and pivot into different types of companies. The reality is the healthcare industry is a huge multi-trillion dollar industry, right? So every company in healthcare is not going to hit you with that same bogus line, right? Sometimes you got to expand your scope, look into other companies within your industry, and, and really also maybe even lean on other folks in your network who maybe have similar job titles or worked at similar companies to give you more insights into how you can approach these offer negotiations. That would be my tip, but thank you so much for the question. All right, let's answer another question for the 9 to 5 hotline. I am getting a lot of questions asking about my travel goals. So here's a question. Where's your favorite place that you travel to? And here's the thing. Um, I've been really fortunate to travel to a lot of beautiful places. I've traveled to over 30 countries in my life. And it's so hard to narrow down the top 
place that I've traveled to. Because I think that when you start to really travel a lot, when you start to live abroad and have some of these other really enriching travel experiences, you kind of have a favorite place for different things. So for example, Tokyo, for sure, Tokyo, Japan is at the top of that list of one of the my most favorite places I've traveled to, but for different reasons than, you know, say Mexico, which is a place that I love to travel to. I've lived in and I see myself continuing to travel to Mexico for the rest of my life. So, you know, with Tokyo, I loved the culture. I loved the food. I just loved how high tech um, the city was. It just really made me feel like, wow, this is what living in the future feels like. Whereas, you know, living in Mexico, I just love how authentic Mexican culture is. I just love how diverse Mexico as a country is where, you know, your experience in Cabo could be very different than your experience in Mexico City and very different than your experience in uh, Cancun and Playa del Carmen. So I just love that Mexico has such a diversity. And also I'm a sucker for some authentic Mexican tacos. So, you know, those are also reasons why I love Mexico as a place. It's so hard to say, um, but I would definitely say there are many beautiful places I've traveled, many amazing people that I've met along my time traveling that I think every place kind of holds a different special meaning in my heart for different reasons. Thank you so much for that question. All right, so we are at the end of our episode. This was How to Remote Your Five, Your Nine to Five. You heard a little bit about my story and moving abroad to Tulum. And I also gave you lots of different tips and tricks around how to turn your current nine to five remote and also how to pivot your skills into a more remote first opportunity. If you love this episode, let me know. Leave a review under this episode and under the podcast, letting me know that you're enjoying what I'm cooking up for you. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to 9 to Fly across all our platforms. And stay tuned because, you know, next week I'll be back with even more insights on how to maximize your 9 to 5, how to get to the most obnoxious bag possible, and how to enjoy the journey as you go. So thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you next time. Bye.